Chapter thirty five of Pieces of Hate and Other Enthusiasms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Chenevere. Pieces of Hate and Other Enthusiasms by Haywood Brune. Chapter thirty five How to Win Money at the Races. Perseverance, courage, acumen, unceasing vigilance, hard work, and application are all required for the man who would win money at the races. He should also have some capital in easily marketable securities. During his preliminary days at the university, the man who would win money on the races should specialize in science. It will be quite impossible for him in his later career to tell whether his selection was beaten by a nose or a head unless he is absolutely familiar with the bone structure of the horse equido ungulate e cabalus in freshman zoology he will learn that at the highest the teeth number forty-four and that the horse as a domestic animal dates from prehistoric times this will serve to explain to him the character of the entries in some of the selling races Geology will make it possible for him to distinguish between track slow and track muddy. The Romance languages need not be avoided. French will enable the student to ask the price on trompe la mort without recourse to the subterfuge of what are you laying on the top one? In spite of the amount of science required, the young man will find that he has small need of mathematics. A working knowledge of subtraction will suffice. As has been said in many a commencement address, college is not the end but merely the beginning of education. The graduate should begin his intensive preparation not later than twelve hours before going to the track. He will find that the first edition of The Morning Telegraph is out by midnight. Hindus' selections are generally on page eight. I have never known the identity of Hindu, but there is internal evidence pointing toward President Harding. At any rate, Hindu is a man who has mastered the pre-election style of the president. His goodwill to all horses, black, brown, and bay is boundless. In studying Mr. Hindu's advice concerning the first race at Belmont Park last week, I found, quote, Captain Elcock, last race seems to give him the edge, close quote. If I had gone no further, my mind might have been easy, but in chancing to look down the column I noted, Servitor, well suited under the conditions. Penrose, plainly the one that is to be feared. Bell Solar, may be heard from if up to her last race. On such minute examination, the edge of Captain Elcock seemed to grow more blunt. Nedham, I discovered, will bear watching, and Hobie Baker may furnish the surprise. To a man of scientific training, such conflicting testimony is disturbing. What, for instance, would the world have thought of the scholarship of Aristotle if, after declaring that the earth was spherical, he had added that it might be well to have a good place bet at two to one on its being flat? As happens all too often in the swing away from science, mere emotion was allowed to rush in unimpeded. Turning to a publication called The Daily Running Horse, I found the section dealing with the first race to be run at Belmont Park and read, Captain Alcock is a nice horse right now. That settled it. All too seldom in this world 
does one find an individual who has the edge and still refrains from slashing about with it and cutting people? Captain Alcock was represented to us as nice, in spite of the fact that he was in with a second-rate lot, as the daily running horse went on to state. Later it seemed to us that the boast was in bad taste, but this factor which we recognized immediately after the first running of the race as groundless condescension appeared at the time a rather fetching sort of democracy. Captain Alcock was willing to associate with second-raters and didn't even mind admitting it. The price was eleven to ten, and after we made our bet the bookmaker revised his figures down to nine to ten. There was a thrill in having been a party to hammering down the price. Soon we were to wish that Captain Alcock had been much less nice. Away from the barrier he went on his journey of a mile with a lead of two lengths. Next it was four, and then five. His heels threw dirt upon the second raiders. Around the turn came Captain Alcock, flaunting his edge in every stride. As they straightened out into the stretch, the man behind us remarked, Captain Alcock will win in a common canter. The captain was content to do no such thing. Although in with second raiders, he remained a nice horse and was willing to do nothing common even for the sake of victory. He began to ease up in order to become companionable with the field. Evidently he had felt unduly conspicuous so far in front. Winning in a common canter was not cricket to his mind. He wanted to make a race of it while there was still time, and as the speed and the lead of Captain Alcock abated, down the stretch from far in the rear dashed the black mare Bell Solar. Suddenly I remembered the ominous words of Hindu, may be heard from if up to her last race. Evidently Bell Solar was up. Captain Alcock was carrying the business of being nice much too far. Before he could do anything about it, Bell Solar was at his shoulders. She did not stop for greeting, but dashed past and won before the genial captain could begin sprinting again. As a matter of fact, it was not until the next day that I appreciated just how much wisdom had been contained in the daily running horse, advice which I had neglected. Turning back to the first race, I found, advised play, none, too tough. If the tipster had only kept up that pace throughout the afternoon, all his followers would be winners at the track. End of chapter 35